It's great to see you today. Do you know one of the ridiculous things I think is happening in our society is you have to have warning labels about everything now. You know, it started with cigarettes, and that made sense, right? You know, this is bad for your health type of thing. But now I see warning labels on every little thing because everybody's so afraid of getting sued. You know, they're so afraid of a lawsuit so that they don't want to be responsible for anything. And our society wants that risk-free society that just cannot exist. No matter what you do, it's not going to exist. You know, I, I'm looking for the day that I go to see a box of cornflakes and it says consult your doctor first. Because it could be on cornflakes soon. But everything is advertised in such a way to, we think it's to protect us by them putting it on there, which it is, but it's to protect them as well because they don't want to get sued or anything. There's a guy named Arnold Toynbee, the historian. He said the heartbeat of a civilization is its spirit of adventure. And what they've found is when a civilization thinks of safety first, even though safety is important, and I'm not saying it's not, but they tend to decline in development. But a civilization that thinks more like be willing to take a risk tends to develop more. So you have to have a balance. You do want things to be safe, but you have to be able to live in a society that you can risk and you can try something out and you can, de- and you can develop as a result of that. We know that we can't remove all risk from society. Going to college is a risk. Getting married is a risk. Would you agree? Yeah. You know, driving on the freeway. You know, eating fast food. Now, maybe fast food should have that warning label on it. You know, but there's so many things that we have in life that's a risk. You never know what's going to happen from day to day. Life is a risk. And therefore, as a believer, it makes us put our faith in God. That's part of the reason of risk in the world is it helps you and I to rely on God because we know we can't rely on ourselves. We know that we're limited to how much we can protect ourselves, so we have to rely on God who's greater than us. When you look at the story of the children of Israel when they were going to pass through the Red Sea and the Egyptians are chasing after them to kill them and they've got mountains on both sides and the ocean there, They were in a position where they were at risk. And what they did is they turned to fear instead of faith. There's always one or two options uh, when you're in those situations. You can turn to fear or you can turn to faith. But they chose to turn to fear. What I want to do is I want to talk about the things that happen, what fear does to us. And then I want to talk about what faith does to us. Four things that fear does to us, and then five things that we need to do with faith. So that way, you can risk in faith. I want you to be able to risk, but I want you to be able to do it in faith, not in fear. So first of all, let's look at fear. What does fear do to us? Number one, it makes us skeptical. In Exodus 14, 11, here's what happened to the Israelites. They said, did you bring us out here in the desert to die? See, when you're afraid, you start doubting. You doubt yourself, you doubt God, you doubt your leaders, you doubt other people, you become skeptical of everything that's happening. Studies have shown that cynics have a problem with fear. We're afraid of the things we don't understand. So fear causes you to be skeptical. A second thing that it does to you is you become selfish when you're afraid. When you're afraid, you're only thinking about yourself. You don't think about other people. 
In Exodus 14.11 it says, look what you've done to us. You start accusing other people. We're good at excusing ourselves but pointing our finger at somebody else. Accusing other people. We want to pass the buck. We want to blame somebody else. We want to run from our responsibility of what we can do and blame it and dump it on somebody else. The guy that doesn't want the commitment of marriage. Why? It's fear. Fear. They're afraid. What's the third thing that fear does to us? Is it makes us stubborn. When you're afraid, you resist change. Fear causes you to want to stay right where you are because you fear if we change, what, what could happen? Well, sure, it could be good, but it could be bad as well. Exodus fourteen twelve says, didn't we tell you before we left that this would happen? We told you to leave us alone. They're saying this to Moses when Moses came to free them from slavery. You know, they were afraid. Now they're in slavery. They're in a horrible, horrible situation. Yet they had fear of the change, so they became stubborn. They're telling Moses, don't rock the boat. You know, don't upset things. Because sure, we're slaves, but if you get the leaders upset, it will be worse on us. You're only going to make life worse. And I know our life is miserable, but I'd rather have it like this than worse. And it made them afraid to try to do something better. Hey, if your life is miserable, maybe it's worth taking the chance to do something better, to head it in a good uh, direction. See, the hardest thing to open is a closed mind. And fear can cause you to close your mind and be stubborn and not want to take the risk to get better because you fear things getting worse. Number four, it makes us short-sighted. When the Israelites saw the enemy coming, that's who they saw. Their sight was as far as enemy. They couldn't see beyond that to see God. Fear causes you to just see the immediate and not see the big picture. In Exodus 14, 12, it says, it would be better to be slaves in Egypt than to die here in the desert. You know, that's a very short-sighted view. God's not in the picture. They didn't even consider trusting God. And here's the sad thing about that. This is after the 10 plagues happened where Moses said, let my people go. And Pharaoh kept saying, no. And then God would do a plague against the Egyptians, not against the Israelites. And the Israelites would see how God was taking care of them. They had already been through these 10 plagues to the point where they saw God do miracles so that they were set free. Now, right after these 10 plagues, they're in this situation again. Why don't they trust God then? Fear causes you not to see God and to see your circumstance. And when you see your circumstance, you're going to be defeated. If you can see beyond your circumstance at God, you can have success. So these are the things that fear does to us, and it prevents us from being all that we can be. It prevents us from achieving the goals that we need to achieve. It, It prevents us from having success in our life. So what we want to do is we want to be able to take risk, but you want to take risk by faith. How do we do that? What exactly does that mean to take risk by faith? There's a few things that you see in Scripture. There's five things I want to point out. The first one in your notes is information. Get the facts. If you're going to take a risk, you get the facts. Anything that requires faith is going to have an element of risk in it. And there's going to be a right way to go and there's going to be a wrong way to go. And God doesn't want you to make foolish risk. Okay, that's why we're afraid of risk is sometimes we think of risk as just being foolish and just jumping out there. No, 
God never teaches that. If you read scripture, he teaches you to get the facts first. There's still risk involved, but you're trying to make it an educated risk, not a stupid risk, because some risks are stupid. Like, wow, that would be stupid to do. It's a risk, and it's stupid. God wants you to be educated. He wants you to get the fact, so you take an educated risk as you go for it. In Proverbs 13, 16, it says, every prudent man acts out of knowledge. So what does that mean? Get the facts. I've got to take, things have got to get better. So we've got to make some changes, which means risk. But you gather up all the information so that the risk you take is hopefully the right one. One in the right direction. How about Proverbs 22, 23? It says, get the facts at any price. You have a major decision. It's going to involve risk. So what do you do? You get the facts at any price. You talk to people. Read a book about it. Talk to someone that's already done it. That's done it and had success. Hey, you were in this situation. How did you have success? You know, you do that type of research. Listen to that CD on it. You go at it with the idea of gathering the information so you can make the right risk. Do you know that most new businesses fail? And it's not because of a lack of enthusiasm. When people start a new business, they're enthusiastic. Most new churches fail. And it's not a lack of enthusiasm. Those uh, guys are starting churches when I started this church 25 years ago. Wow. You know, you're so enthusiastic. And you go, but most churches don't make it. Most churches fail. Uh, Most businesses fail. Most marriages nowadays fail. And it's not because of lack of enthusiasm. You should see how enthusiastic they are about getting married. It's uneducated enthusiasm. That's what does it. So you can have a great product. And it really is good. But if it's uneducated enthusiasm that drives you, you're probably going to fail. You want to have enthusiasm, but you want it to have, you want to have all the education that you can behind it. Is there still risk involved? Of course. There's always a risk. It still might fail. Even with all the education behind it, it still might fail. But if you're going to do it God's way, you're not just going to jump in. You're going to get the facts. You're going to gather it up, and you're going to do it with education. And you're going to be enthusiastic. See, some people think, well, I'm just going to jump out there in faith. According to Scripture, that's not faith if you just jump in there. That's being stupid. Because it says prudent men act out of knowledge. They get the facts at any price. So therefore, if someone tries to say, well, faith is just jumping in there and going for it, you know that that's not biblical. That's not what God teaches. That's man's idea of faith. I don't want man's idea of faith. I want God's idea of faith. The second thing that you do is you evaluate. You count the cost. How much is this going to cost me? Why am I doing this? What am I doing? What's the risk involved? How much is it going to cost me in time? I feel like this is something I want to do. How much time is it going to cost you? How much money is it going to cost you? What's it going to cost you in emotional energy? What's it going to cost you in reputation? And what would be the benefit? Sometimes you start thinking of those and you think of the benefit and you think it's not worth it. And if it's not worth it, you know what? It's not worth it. Not everything is worth doing. So you have to evaluate the cost to say, is this something really that God wants me to do? Is this something really worth putting my effort and time into? In Luke 14, 28 and 31, it says, don't begin until you count the cost. Who would begin construction of a building without first getting estimates? 
It's saying it's foolish faith to just say, let's go for it in faith. Let's just buy this building. Well, you first have to estimate the cost and make sure you have the money to buy it, right? Or what king would dream of going to war without first sitting down with his counselors? Yeah, let's just go to war with them. No, it's better that you check out the enemy first, see what type of army they have, look at your military, see what type of army you have. Don't just jump out there. That could be the worst thing that you could ever do. But we have faith. Nope. These are Jesus' words. He's the one that's teaching us what real faith is. And he's saying that there's a lot of stupid faith in this world. And you, you know who we give the credit to for our faith? God. And it's not even the way that God teaches. But we say, well, I have faith. And we're saying, because of God, this and that. That's not what God teaches. He says, count the cost. If you're going to build a building, plan a budget first. If you're going to go to war, know the enemy first. Analyze the situation that you have. See, is this, is this a wise thing for me to do? In Proverbs 20, 25, it says, it's a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider his bowels. Why? Because you have to consider everything first. You don't make a commitment to do something before you consider the cost. There's a principle to life. It's always easier to get in than to get out, right? It's always easier to get into debt than to get out of debt. Would you agree? It's always easier to get into a relationship than to get out of the relationship. It's always easier to fill my schedule than to fulfill my schedule. So it's a principle of life. It's easier to make commitments than it is to fulfill those commitments. That's why we need to consider it beforehand. You know, consider the cost. Is this really going to be worth doing? You need to choose your commitments carefully. Get the facts. Count the cost because every decision has a price tag. There's always a price, price tag. It's going to cost you something to do it. And some things, it's going to cost you a lot and it's still worth it. The payoff is worth the cost. But sometimes the payoff's not really there for you really to commit so much time and energy to something. Ask yourself two things. Is this necessary? You get excited about something and then start thinking, is this necessary? Is it worth it? Is it really worth it? Every major decision, talk to other people about it. Bring them into it. Get their point of view. Do not make a major decision when you're depressed. Because depression is going to blind you in certain ways and probably cause you to make the wrong decision. Because we get depressed and we just went out. And sometimes that could be the worst thing long term. So never make a decision when you're depressed. Wait till you're at a point in your life that you know that you're mostly stable to make that decision. The third thing is preparation. Plan your steps. It says in Proverbs 14, 15, a prudent man gives thought to his steps. You still don't go charging out there. You now make a plan. You start planning your steps. Okay, for this to be successful, for me to live by faith and take this risk, I've got to do this and this and this. You're planning it out. You're thinking about what's going to work. Two weeks ago, I talked about faith is expecting the best. Okay? Expecting the best. That's faith. You go, I'm going to do this and I'm going to expect the best. Okay, that is faith. But wisdom in your faith is to plan. 
I don't believe that expecting the best means that you do it without planning. Or else God would never say a prudent man gives thought to his steps. A prudent man's thinking out the steps he's going to make. He's expecting the best or else he wouldn't even try it. He's expecting the best. He's letting God, and that's the God factor. I'm, I'm trusting God to take care of it. I'm expecting the best. But I'm still making a plan on how to do it. In Proverbs 16, 9, it says, we should make plans counting on God to direct us. A man makes his plans and God guides his steps. So there's two parts. We make our plans, but we're counting, we're trusting God to come in. It's like plan and pray. I don't believe that you just pray and go. I don't believe that you just plan and go. I think both of those are foolish. I think you pray and you plan and you go. You keep it together. And here's what I found. You plan and you pray. You plan and you pray. It's a constant thing. And things are constantly changing. So you're starting off here, but things change. And you're constantly praying. You're constantly planning. And things change. It never goes the way that you want it to or the way that you expect it to. Sometimes it goes better. Sometimes it goes worse. But there's a constant prayer and constant planning along the way. The planning and the prayer never stops. And things go in directions that you never expected because nobody knows the future other than God. So you plan and you pray and you pray and you plan and those two things are always together. But don't think you have faith by saying things like, I never plan, I don't organize, I don't set goals because I'm living by faith. That is not biblical faith. That's foolishness. God teaches the opposite of that. He teaches you to trust God, but he teaches you to plan and to organize, to use your mind. We have to remember, it's God that gave us the mind to use. So you want to use what God gave you. It's God that gives you your gifts and talents. So you want to use your gifts and talents. You want to use the things that God gave you. If my gifts and talents are in this area and I try to do something else, it's probably not going to work. Because I have to look at what God gave me. God didn't give me my gifts and talents to, to be wasted. He's designed me in a certain way to do certain things. But I'm designed also not to do other things. That idea that when you grow up, you can be whatever you want to be. No, you can't. You can't. Some people just are not gifted athletes. They just don't have it physically. Some people are not gifted singers. They just don't have it. You know, you cannot be whatever you want to be, but you can be exactly what God wants you to be. And when you pursue what God wants you to be, you can go sky high. But what does God want me to be? Well, look at what he gave you. Look at your gifts. Look at your talents. Look at your heartbeat. Your desires is what I mean by that. Look at your passions. You know, look at your personality type. Look at the experiences that he's allowed you to have. See, God is equipping you to be what he wants you to be, not what you want to be. It's never about, I'm here and God, you come and fulfill my wishes. It's never that. It's always this, God, where do you want me to be? And I'm going to fulfill your wishes. And then I get where God wants me to be and I start fulfilling his wishes. That's how you live life. That's what it means to have faith. But you make plans. And then you're counting on God to make the difference. I saw some quotes 
about planning, I thought some of them were pretty good. If you don't prepare and prevent, you'll repair and repent. Then this one says, before you speak, listen. Before you write, think. Before you invest, investigate. Before you spend, earn. Before you criticize, wait. Before you quit, try again. Before you retire, save. Before you die, give. Before you plan, pray. Then this one's a tongue twister. It says the four keys to accomplishments are plan prayerfully, prepare purposefully, proceed positively, and pursue persistently. I sort of got through that one a little bit without stumbling. But it's spiritual to plan. That's spiritual faith. But the whole time you're still trusting in God. Hey, God, I'm planning. I'm using my gifts and talents. I'm trying to put put it in the direction that I believe that you want me to go in. But I'm trusting you to guide me to shut doors, to open doors, to do the things I can't do. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you to help me with the things I can do. You still have faith in there the whole time. Proverbs 20, 18 says, make plans by seeking advice. So the Bible actually tells you to make plans, make plans, but seek advice. So get wisdom from other people. Because if you want to have success, you cannot think that you know it all. But don't just seek advice from anybody. Be selective at who you seek advice from. I'm not saying that you can't learn from everybody. You can learn from everybody. Everybody can give you insight. Everybody in the world can. But seek advice from people that are already doing and succeeding in what God's calling you to do. Because they're going to save you a lot of headaches. There is no reason for you to have, have to reinvent the wheel. They can save you a lot of problems. If you talk to them, they'll share about their mistakes. You'd be amazed at successful people. They like to share with other people. They don't like to keep it a secret. They want other people to be successful. Every time I talk to people that are very successful in what they do, they're very open and excited to share their ideas. The problem is people are afraid to ask them. Go and ask them. Get the input from them so that way you don't have to make all the same mistakes that they made. It can be easier for you when you spend time asking them. And number four, declaration. Announce your goals. Tell the world about your intentions. Make it public. Announce what you believe that you're called to do. See, we don't want to do that. You know why? We're afraid of failure and we're afraid of ridicule. So we're afraid to say, this is what we're going to try to do. This is what I believe I'm supposed to do. The reason why we're afraid to verbalize it is we're afraid that if we fail, then everybody's going to know. No. Part of faith is having the guts and having the faith to, to say it. And say, God, I believe this is what he wants. Now, you never say, you never say something like this, this is what's going to happen. Because you don't know what's going to happen. You can say like in James 4.15 it says, what you should say is this, if the Lord is willing, we will live and do this or that. You see what I mean? So you're never saying it's a guarantee because you don't really know. But you're saying, Lord willing, by this time, we're going to do this. Or Lord willing, I believe that God wants me to do this with my life. That's what I believe. So I'm going for it. You know, it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. But what is faith? Faith is acting out what you believe to be true, right? You believe it, so you try it. You go for it. 
What's the worst that can happen? It doesn't work. What's the worst that can happen is you get an education. You learn what doesn't work, so maybe next time you know what will work better. If the Lord's will, if this Lord's will, this is going to happen, and then you go for it. Why should I announce the risk? Why tell other people my dreams, my goals, my ambitions? Well, there's a few ways that it helps you. It builds your faith when you say it publicly. Like say, for example, you have an addiction that you want to conquer. When you keep that your own little secret, you know what happens? You never conquer it. You never conquer it. It's when you've come public to some group. You don't have to be public to everybody about your addiction. But that's why when people go to like a 12-step meeting and they come, they finally open up and say, I've got a problem with this. Once they can start admitting it to people and get the secret out, they start to change. But as long as they keep their little secret, they never change. There's something about announcing it that helps give you strength to start changing in ways that you want to change. Another thing is it gives you accountability. You announce something like that. Now you have people that are helping you. In a 12-step program, it's people that are also struggling with the same thing. But like say it's a business goal or something and you announce it, there's people there to hold you accountable. Hey, Jimmy, you said that you're going to try to do this. Why aren't you trying? You know, because you have to keep trying. And when you announce it, it's going to kind of hold you accountable to, to keep trying. And then... The third thing that it does for you is it attracts support because people want to be involved in something they can believe in. But if you have this great idea and you keep it your secret, you're not going to get the support you need. But if you say, this is what I believe God wants me to do, and you talk about it and you share it, you're more apt to have people come aboard and say, yeah, I want to be a part of that as well. I want to help you with that. So as you're thinking about what are my gifts, what are my talents, what's my personality like, what's my experiences? What would God want me to do with my life? Don't be afraid to announce it to other people. Don't be afraid to say, this is what I believe God wants me to do with my life. Verbalize it out loud to other people. Because other people are going to hear that and say, oh, I know someone that's doing that because you verbalized it. They're going to say, and they're, they're, they're going to connect you with somebody. Networking starts taking place. Now, all of a sudden, you're learning from somebody that you would have never met on your own that's, that's Gives you ideas that helps you get off the ground with your idea. Or someone says, oh, I would love to help you with that. That sounds so exciting. And now you've got a partner. But when you keep it your little secret, it's almost guaranteed failure. No matter how good the idea is, it's pretty much a guarantee that it's going to fail. The number five is initiation. You've got to let go and launch out. Which means now you go for it. Because you've made a plan. You've already done those other things. You've gotten the facts. Now you just jump out there and go. Because there's a point where you've got to quit reading and you've got to stop studying and you've got to stop doing this and just do it. I've been preparing for my ministry for 40 years. That's too long. You've got to get out there. It's like the trapeze artist. You know how they're swinging on that bar and everything. But before they can get that other bar, they have to literally let go of this bar first, and for a moment, they're in midair holding on to nothing, right? A hundred feet off the ground. But if they don't let go of this bar, they can never catch the other bar. The bars are always too far apart for them to have both at the same time. It's never something like this and here, okay, now I can let go. So they have to swing out there, let go of this one, and grab that one. And you know what? In that let going stage, that's got to be scary. That's a long way down, 
if I let go of this and mess up. But I'm never going to get to that other side if I don't let go. And sometimes we just have to stop reading, stop studying, and do it. Do it. Go for it. Because God requires risk and faith. And if you wait until the perfect situation, you're going to wait for the rest of your life. And you're going to go to your grave never doing what God called you to do. Because you're, I wasn't finished studying. If you wait till you know everything about it, you'll wait for the rest of your life. You'll never know everything about it. You've got to let go of security to grab opportunity. And the thing is, we're afraid to let go. Some people have to let go of that job they're in before they can get the new job. Some people have to let go of a home that they have to move to get somewhere else. You have to let go of singleness to get married. Some people get married and they still try to be single. Causes all kinds of problems. Peter one time was in the boat fishing and he saw Jesus walking on the lake. And he said, Jesus, call me to come out to you. And Jesus said, come. And what Peter didn't do is he didn't stay in the boat and say, I believe I can walk on water. He could have said it to everybody. He could tell Thomas, I know you doubt a lot, but I believe I can walk on water. He could have just talked to everybody. But it meant nothing unless he stood out there and he went for it. Peter gets criticized for, I've, I've heard pastors and stuff and Bible teachers criticize Peter because he gets out and he starts to walk on water. And when he sees the waves and everything, he gets scared and loses faith and he sinks down. But man, he walked on water. He got out of the boat. Most of us don't get out of the boat. So I'm never going to criticize him. He's the only guy that walked on water other than Jesus. You know, so he, he actually walked on water. You're never going to walk on water if you don't get out of the boat. I don't care how much you say you believe it. You're never going to walk on water if you don't get out of the boat. At Magic Mountain, at Magic Mountain, every ride is like scary. There's no normal rides for sissies like me. It's all the big, scary ones, you know. And then it says, when I was younger, I used to love those rides. I go now, and I'm like, I'm never going there again. You go, get in line, and they say, warning, if you're pregnant, do not take this ride. If you get dizzy, do not take this ride. If you have a bad back, do not take this ride. I think I read six different warning signs. And then the lines are so long, it takes an hour to get to the ride. But on the way up, there's this turnout place, like, if you're chickening out, you can exit. If you're chickening out, you can exit. You can, and they give you like five or six t- chances to get out of there. And then you finally find yourself sitting in there. And once they strap you in, you're in now. There's no alternative but to go through what you're going to go through. Whether you want to or not, it's too late. Uh, you, you're, you're in it. And that's what it's like. You know, to have faith, you've got to be willing to go through it. If you want the thrill, if you want the thrill, you've got to go through it. If you want to achieve the goal, you've got to go through it. You've got to take steps of faith. You've got to reach that point that I'm in all the way. Because if you don't launch out and really jump in there, nothing's going to happen. Even the children of Israel at the Red Sea. I was talking about they have the Red Sea, the mountains beside them, the enemy coming in to destroy them. They wanted to slaughter them. And Moses was telling them that they have to put faith in God. But God didn't build a bridge. And they said, oh, there's a bridge we see. And God didn't even part the Red Sea yet. You know what they had to do? Is they had to step into the water. They had to take a a step of faith. You know, they started going. 
and then God did his work. So you have to be willing to commit yourself. You have to be willing to go for it. You can believe and believe and believe all you want to, but if you don't go for it, nothing's going to happen. You know, fear caused them to want to be in slavery. Let's just go back. Let's just go back. You know, think about it. For 400 years, they'd been beaten, mistreated, abused, killed, starved, no rights, overworked. And they're saying, let's go back. But I'm telling you, that's what fear does. Fear will cause you to go back to something horrible because you're too afraid to risk for something good. Something that's going to be fantastic for your life. So we have to be willing to go for it. We can ask ourselves, why do we stay in destructive situations? Self-defeating habits, destructive relationships. Why do we have these, you know, addictions and these hang-ups and we're not willing to let them go or get freedom from it or get the help that we need? Many of us will stay in these painful situations because they're predictable. At least we know what it is. And then we don't have any hope for a better future. What if I changed? What would happen? What if I confronted my husband or my wife or my boss? We're afraid of freedom. We're afraid. I'm afraid to give myself 100% to Jesus because he might make me into some sort of fanatic. And we're afraid to have the greatest life that God wants to have for us. In Psalms 4, 13, it says, When I'm afraid, I will put my confidence in God. Yes, I will trust the promises of God. When you're afraid, put your confidence in God. Trust Him. Put your faith there. I'm, never, I'm not saying that you won't be afraid. Courage is not someone that's not afraid. Courage is when you go for it even though you're afraid. Because sometimes you'd be stupid not to be afraid. But courage says, I'm going for it. Are you afraid? Oh, yes, I'm afraid. See, if you're not afraid, that doesn't take any courage at all. It takes absolutely no courage if you're not afraid. But if you're afraid and you go for it, that's a courageous man. That's a courageous woman. That's launching out and trusting God. I'm putting my confidence in God. Philippians 4.13 says, I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. I'm putting my faith in the power of Christ in my life to give me the strength to go for it, even though I'm afraid, even though I have fear. If you don't get anything else, remember this. Move against your fear. Faith is move against your fear. What's ever holding you back from being what God's called you to be, move against it. Move against it. It's interesting what God says in Exodus 14, 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, quit praying. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Quit praying. Stop praying, Moses. When was the last time that that was spiritual to say? Stop praying. He says to them, quit praying and get the people moving. Forward march. That was God. Why was he saying that? Because sometimes prayer is nothing but procrastinating. You know, I'm praying about it until I feel led. The only lead you have is in the seat of your pants. Okay? Don't be praying till you feel led. If God tells you to do it, go for it. Go for it. I'm not saying don't get the information. I'm not saying don't plan. I'm saying get the information planned, but launch out there. Go for it. You've got to try. Don't let fear control your life. Sometimes 
the godly thing to do is to quit praying and start doing. You've prayed enough about it. Now go. So don't think that when you're praying, you're always being spiritual. Sometimes when you're praying, you're really being rebellious. Because you already know in your heart that God wants you to do it, and you're just praying, praying, praying. It's rebellion against God. Because you're praying instead of doing what you already know he wants you to do. There's a point that you have to stop praying. You've got to start doing. I want to ask you, what is it God's calling you to do with your life? What are the fears that are holding you back? I'm asking you to face those fears and try and go for it. Get the facts. Make a good plan. Count the cost. Then go for it. Don't waste your life. Be willing to go for it. Be willing to try something big. Will you reach a goal? Maybe, maybe not. But I find this. If you have a goal and you shoot for it, whether you reach it or not, you're going to be making progress in your life. You're going to be doing something. As opposed to if you don't have a goal and you don't, then you're going to do nothing. So God wants to make your life count. He wants to do something big there. Maybe it's with the relationship. You're afraid to make restitution or reconcile a relationship. Maybe it's something with your finances. It could be anything. But whatever you're afraid to do that you know that God's been calling you to do, I'm encouraging you to go for it. Launch out and make it happen. Go. And at least try to make a difference there. People say, one of these days, I'm going to get serious about God. I'm really going to make him number one. When? When? You know, one of these days, I'm going to really commit to a church. When? One of these days, I'm going to really use my gifts and talents for the Lord. When? What I find is one of these days tends to be none of these days. Fear will hold us back. I don't feel like I'm good enough. Get the facts. Make a plan. Count the cost. But then go for it. Don't be afraid to allow God to use your life for great things. He wants to. So let's pray. Dear God, we know that you desire to use our lives for greatness. But we know that there's risk involved, and that's scary. And, Lord, we're asking right now that you help us with our fears. Lord, that you help us to get the facts. Lord, that you help us to count the cost. Lord, that you help us to come up with a good plan and seek advice from other people so that the plan can be done well, that we'll be willing to declare what we're going to do, and, Lord, that we'll launch out and go for it, and that we'll live by faith by doing what you've called us to do. And maybe there's people here today, and the step that you need to make is just putting Jesus number one in your life. If that's you, pray this along with me silently. Lord, by faith, I'm putting my trust in you. Lord, I know I can't be perfect. I'm relying on what you did for me on the cross. I believe that you died on the cross paying off the penalty of my sins, so I believe I'm forgiven. And Lord, I'm giving my life to you. From this point on, I'm yours, 100%. And even when I fall down and mess up, I'm trusting in you to help me. It's in Jesus' name that I make this commitment. And Lord, as we continue to pray, Lord, I pray that you'll help all of us uh, with our fears. Help us to move against it so that we can be who you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.